0: the word of the Lord. Do not judge others and you will not be judged for you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. And why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Hypocrite. First, get rid of the log in your own eye. Then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. Don't waste what is holy on people who are unholy. Don't throw your pearls to pigs. They will trample the pearls, then turn and attack you. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Welcome, Sergeant. Peace be with you. That's good to see you. My name's Jonah. If you're visiting with us, welcome. I'm one of the pastors. To the families who came for baby dedication, you ate it? Thanks! This is cool, it's exciting. Um, 11 kids in the two services, so that's a a real sign of life for us. They're a gift from the Lord, and uh, we're thankful. So uh, thanks be to God for these babies. Um, The way we usually work at Sojourn is we preach through a book of the Bible and uh, see what happens. And we have a bit of a happy accident this morning, as my man Bob Ross would say. We don't make mistakes, we just have happy accidents. Usually Mother's Day you want to be like the nice, welcoming, let's bring flowers, give everybody something nice, enjoy yourself. And now we get Jesus throwing fastballs here, talking about being judgy. So that makes me a little embarrassed, a little uncomfortable, because some of you are here and it's like you're going to get some spice this morning. We get sugar, but sometimes you get the spice too. So it makes me a little uncomfortable for the guests that are here. Uh, but I also think it's so funny that this is the passage that came up on Mother's Day, because moms be judging people, amen? Amen. <laughs> I know, I'm going to get the pain out on the intro. My dad just said, be careful, um, if you're wondering who I'm talking to up here. Uh, so, you know, <laughs> play date, one of the judgiest hours of the week, amen? Uh, I don't know, like 10 days ago, I was at a park down the street from my house, and there's like two different sections of the playground, and there was a, there's a tube thing that connects them, It's probably 12, 15 feet off the ground. Uh, Sertoma Park if you've ever been there and I was playing with my kids just being one heck of a dad just out there wrestling running and we get up there and there's a three-year-old maybe a four-year-old who has like one leg on top of one of the bars and then the other leg on top of the tube so he's perched like spider-man 15 feet off the ground and again he couldn't speak clearly so however old he was and I looked at him was like hey buddy you sure you're supposed to be up here like that and he looked at me and said, Mama said it's okay. Mama says it's okay. And I didn't say it with my mouth, but I said it in my spirit. Your mom's crazy. <laughs> you know, you can ask my wife. I'm a little bit free-spirited with our children, but you don't let a three-year-old climb 15 feet off the ground with no, I mean, no nothing. That's like got ER written all over it. Um, you ever had that nervous experience being in the waiting room of a doctor's office? Because there's always this kind of, just don't say the antibiotic word, because here's what will happen. If you, if you got your infant and you're like, I'm going to get on, hopefully he can get some antibiotics for his ear infection, you know one of the moms is over there saying, You let your child take antibiotics. It gets more uncomfortable. You, I see this on Facebook where it's like, You vaccinate your kids, you don't vaccinate your kids. And it's like, whether it's you're the mom or your friend's mom or whatever, I mean, we do a lot of judging around moms, motherhood how you mother, how other people mother, and we got to wrestle with Jesus saying, don't judge here. Um, I think it's part of the point I'm trying to make there is saying that even with something like motherhood, where we're all trying to at least be thankful for moms, we see the importance of it, we tend to be pretty judgy. Uh, there's something that's inherently judgy, it seems like, about the human nature or human condition apart from Christ. And um, I'm gonna, if, no one, if I haven't offended you yet, then it's probably coming for you in the next three minutes i um, just going to get all of the offensiveness out of the way in the beginning. Uh, the, there's a group of people in our country that are like the most anti-judging of all the people in our country. And it's, I would call them the quasi-religious left. It's something that's happened in the last few years. And by quasi, I mean they don't necessarily espouse any specific doctrine or belief other than just don't judge anybody. Live and let live. And if you're really excited right now that I'm about to bust on the left, just remember, it's the train wreck of the religious right that created the quasi-religious left. Nobody is innocent here. Like, there's messes on both sides, and we'll, we're going to talk about some middle ground here. But like, I see this all the time on the internet. And I get it. People are different via email. People are different on Facebook and Twitter than maybe they are in real life. Um, but I think it can be pretty revealing what people say when they feel like they're safe and anonymous. So... You'll read things like this from that kind of quasi-religious left. I hate judgmental people. (laughs) Have you seen that? Um, I'm glad you guys saw the irony of that so quickly and that I didn't have to try to explain why that's ironic. Um, Love is my only rule. And if you aren't loving, I just wish you would die. (laughs) Have you seen these things? You know? There are many ways to God. Well, I think there's one way. Not that way! You know, it's, it's in essence this position that says, all ways are okay unless you think something other than I think. Um, so on, there's been this incredible rise in the judgmentalism of the left, and it's totally in. It's incoherent. It's as incoherent as on the right being pro-life up until the point that the child is born. And then we just throw them to the wind and say, good luck the rest of your life. We won't have any, you know, there's, you can't say you're pro-life and just only be about abortion. So there's my little shot to the right too, okay? Like we're equal opportunity offenders in here. It's the same issue with, if you've got gray hair here, it probably makes you uncomfortable the way the kids dress at church. By the kids, I mean us, me, me. Everyone, because you grow up putting on Sunday best, right? If you're going to go to the house of the Lord, you're going to go worship the Savior of your soul in jeans? See, how irreverent and disrespectful could it be? And then the younger generation is like, man, they think that you got to get dressed up to come into the presence of God. They don't get it at all. They don't get the gospel. Look at them wearing their suits to church. They don't get it. We wear jeans. We're real Christians. And you see, it's the same issue. They're doing the same thing. So here we are in our cool hipster church where it's like, wear your skinny jeans and wear your tattoos and just come as you are. And then do you know what our, my kids, you know, Salem, what we just dedicated, you know what he's going to wear to church? He's going to be putting a suit on. And then he and all of his buddies are going to be saying, man, our parents didn't get it. They were, that millennial church thing was so stupid. They didn't get it. Now you got to wear... So my point is the middle ground that we're searching for around judgment, it must be rooted in scripture or else we'll fall for the cultural hype of the day, or the pendulum swing that's most popular right now. And we're not going to be a people that keep going back and forth. And so if what Jesus is saying is what that kind of quasi-religious left here says, if the teaching here is live and let live, this passage makes zero sense. And if, if your reading of the scripture, if your interpretation of a passage necessitates Jesus being dumb, we would reject that interpretation, right? He's He's not, he's not saying no to judgment while being judgmental. You see, that that's why I mean he would have to be dumb, because he's saying things, basically he's saying, don't call people names, you hypocrites. Don't be harsh with people, you pigs. That sounds awfully judgy, Jesus. So what's, what's going on here? What's the deal? Two-point sermon today for you. What is judgment? judgmentalism is that a word what is judging and then how do we do it what is it how do we do it here's my rhyming sentence this week if you all hear last week I rhymed Rhyming again this week and I feel really good about it so you can nap after this get ready for brunch at the core the invitation from Jesus this morning is to look in the mirror if you want to see clear look in the mirror if you want to see clear look in the mirror if you want to see clear so what is judgment Uh, The word judge here, it means a lot, just like it does for us in English. Most simply, it means to choose or to decide, come to a conclusion. So obviously, Jesus isn't saying never make a decision. That's not the lesson here. The takeaway isn't don't ever make a decision. And we get this. Um, When someone says that they like vanilla more than chocolate, though they are wrong, (laughs) we don't look at them and say, you're so judgmental, how dare you? That's not, we don't call that being judgmental. So there's a sense of what it just means to make a decision. Uh, There's a sense it means an evaluation too. We get this. When you have lunch with somebody and they take a bite of their hamburger and they're like, that's a tasty burger. You don't look at them and say, you're so judgmental. You know, it's like, no, they're just making an evaluation call on whatever this thing is. Uh, I see Christians boycott a lot of silly things, but I don't see them boycotting the gymnastics portion of the Olympics. Even though there's a whole panel on there called what? judges but didn't jesus say don't judge we never look at the judge who says like i only give that an 8.7 because they're wobbly on the landing and we're like oh my gosh they sinners need to repent you know so it if this means just live and let live do whatever you want love is my only rule believe whatever you want to believe don't say if it means that it makes no sense of life and how all of us naturally live, even the people who are on the far left saying, do whatever you want, unless it's what I think you should do. Like everybody is living radically inconsistently if what Jesus is saying here is don't judge anything, don't make any choices, don't evaluate anything. It makes no sense of what we've lived and it makes no sense of what the scriptures teach either. There's all kinds of choices to make in life and the scriptures will lay out, well, this is an, a healthy choice. And this is an unhealthy choice. Which one will you choose to make? The scriptures will lay out, this is a virtuous way of living and this is a distorted way of living. You get to choose which one of those do you make. And a lot of the scriptures are trying to paint a picture for us of choosing virtue, choosing wisdom. And so it just doesn't make any sense to say that uh, the judgment Jesus is saying about here is a rejection of any kind of decision-making or evaluating. So a little A little pro tip for you, if the Bible confuses you on a point, if there's something that doesn't make sense to you, rather, before you Google, before you Google, see what the rest of the Bible has to say about that thing. Oftentimes, the best way to interpret the Bible is in light of what something else in the Bible has to say about it. So, the book of James was written by Jesus' brother, James, and chapter 4 serves as, in some ways, a commentary on the Sermon on the Mount, which is where we are right now. And James has a long section about what Jesus is saying here around being judgmental. So here's what James has to say to help us understand what Jesus is getting after. He says, Don't speak evil against each other, dear brothers and sisters. If you criticize and judge each other, then you're criticizing and judging God's law. God alone, who gave the law, is the judge. He alone has the power to save or to destroy. So what right do you have to judge your neighbor? So look at some of the examples. Well, I guess just this main one right here. God alone has the power to save or to destroy. The idea that's happening here is that there are some areas of judgment that belong to God alone. So the the judgment that Jesus is prohibiting us against is the judgment that reveals or that is left only to God, that only God can do. And it's rooted in the places that only God can see. So here's the principle. Jesus is saying, you may not condemn or assess the heart of another human being. Let me give you some examples. Uh, You see your buddy or whoever yelling at their kid. It's appropriate to say to them, you shouldn't scream at your child. Don't scream at your child. You shouldn't do that. Now, where that gets a little bit too far is if you say to them, or you say to your buddy, like, you know Jessica screams at her kid. I don't even think she's a Christian. What a wicked, awful person she is because she screamed at her child. You don't know what's going on in her heart. You know she screams at her child just because she wants to feel in control. You don't know that. You, you don't know what's going down there in the land of motives and heart. Do you see the difference? It's not saying never make a choice, never speak in, never assess. The judgment that Jesus prohibits is the judgment that is reserved for God alone. So you can look at an action and say this is wise or this is foolish. This will lead to life or this will in all likelihood lead to destruction. Like We are a church that believes there is such a thing as truth. There is a, there's truth and there is a lie. And you can say, hey, this will not lead you to life. but we must not in turn evaluate the heart the motives or the status of another we cannot make or call we cannot make a call on realities that only god knows we can judge behaviors and choices we cannot judge motives and hearts that's only up to god only god has the power to save or destroy only god sees the hearts of people so that's that's what judgment is. And the explanation for, okay, so, so what? How does this show up in our relationships? How do we live this out? Uh, Jesus explains that part of it to us through two, what I think are pretty hilarious parables. They're real quick, rap of fire, pop, pop. And if you don't think they're funny, that's okay, because they're super familiar to us. You can just let your mind sit on them for a little while afterwards, and maybe you'll see the humor in it. The, the first, I think the first invitation, the first parable says to know yourself. If you want to judge other people well, the first move is to know yourself. Uh, And he talks about this guy, I call him telephone pole Tommy. Um, You'll see why here in a second. Verses 3 and 5. Jesus says, why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? First get rid of the log in your own eye. Then you'll see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. So log, log up there. The, uh, The imagery, think of a telephone pole. Okay, this isn't like you got a twig stuck hiking. It's a telephone pole. It's intended to be absurd. So, you know, countdown is on for brunch. Our reservation is in 90 minutes, and you're sitting at brunch. You're enjoying it, whatever. And you see a dude walking down Main Street with a telephone pole in his eye. Like, all of us would be like, something's not right there. Something is off. We should go check on this guy. And you come out to talk to Tommy, and you're like, Tommy, how are you? He's like, I'm so good, man. Happy Mother's Day. Like, you feeling all right, Tommy? He's like, feel great. Life is good. Everything's fine. Like, you have the absurdity of he's got a telephone pole in his eye. And the second degree of absurdity is he doesn't know he has a telephone pole in his eye. We would be judging the heck out of that dude. Like, how? What a moron do you have to be to not feel it and not see it? And then think about how well do you see if you have telephone poles in your eye? Not so well. So the principle here. Y'all heard of the theologian Ice Cube before? i worked hard on this one. Worked hard on it, Ricky. Uh, Ice Cube gives us the application. He says, Chiggity, check yourself before you Amen. Check yourself before you wreck yourself. Look in the mirror if you want to see yourself clearer. Jesus is saying... If you want to see anything with clarity, you have to begin looking hard at the mirror. Before making assessments on other people, you have to be doing your own work of transformation. So, how well do you know your blind spots? Now, if in your mind you're like, I know all of my blind spots, I would remind you of what blind spots are called. <laughs> blind spots. If you're like, these are my four biggest blind spots, you don't even see your biggest blind spots in that case. They're called blind spots because you don't see them. So for example, before critiquing a mom or critiquing someone else's parenting, what would it look like to check yourself? Now, we're going to crank back up into the sour here. This might be uncomfortable. Um, Have you ever asked another mom or another parent Another adult, if you have children, have you ever asked another adult, what's it like for you to be around my children? Oh man, that was uncomfortable. Someone, someone got uncomfortable right over there. What's it like for you to be around my children? Because I know, mom and dad, you think your kids are amazing. There's, but there's probably people who don't spend time with you because of the way your children act. Maybe the, maybe the more intense in question from there would be to say, what is something you see about the way I'm parenting that you think I don't see that I need to see? What's something you think I don't see about my parenting that I need to? Yikes, man! That is intense. But that's the kind of work we have to do to see ourselves clearly. We have to be people I think it would be so beautiful. The long-term effects of this could not be overstated. If we became a people who tried to put off some of our criticism, criticism is not a a fruit of the spirit, as far as I know. If we tried to put off criticism and maybe put, put on more so a posture of curiosity. So before we blow that mom up, maybe we ask some questions. What is it about her and this family that makes me feel this way? What do I need to see about me. Maybe you need to ask that mom a question about what she's been going through or what her day's been. People have this incredible tendency, and I do this too, where if you don't have all of the information, or if there's gaps in your story, we tend to fill in the gaps. And nine times out of ten, the gaps get filled in with something bad and negative and ugly. And all of that could be avoided if we learned to ask a question, either of ourselves. If we went into situations that seemed so, whatever, insane to us, with the possibility that we could have a log in our eye, what would happen? What would happen if we took a posture of greater curiosity in these situations? So before you, I don't know, you fire off that email, or maybe you're really mad that I talked about the left or the right the way I did. And before you blow up your pastor or your community group leader, your buddy on Facebook, your sister-in-law who's coming to brunch, before we let the guns loose, what would happen if we learned to ask some questions, both of ourselves and of whoever it is we're so upset with. Because again, we tend to think the absolute best of ourselves and the absolute worst of others. Amen? You all know that? Have you recognized that? It's so easy for me to give myself the benefit of the doubt, but as soon as I have to give the benefit of the doubt to somebody else, if we want to judge in a way that's helpful, we have to see ourselves more clearly first. And if we want to see others more clearly, we have to begin by looking at ourselves in the mirror. So most practically, who is it that's speaking into your life? When was the last time someone really pressed you? How do you respond when someone disagrees with you or confronts you? Maybe the simplest way to put it is, who are you listening to? And I would, for the, especially if you've got little ones at home, I would just encourage you, like, it can't only be your spouse. It's okay for your spouse to listen to you, but I just, I think you're setting yourself up for failure if your spouse is your accountability partner, your main spiritual mentor, your source of emotional connection, you know, they're a romantic, it's like all these 57 different roles that we're expecting the spouses to fill. And there's a vested interest in seeing the best in each other in there, right? Like, it, It's not always easy for the spouse to say the really painful things that we need to say. If the only person that speaks into your life is your spouse, there's a good chance you have a log hanging out in your eye. How do we judge? You have to know yourself. You have to do your own work of self-awareness. You have to have people involved in your life speaking into it. Don't be telephone pole Tommy. Get other people involved in your life. Let them ask questions. Be vulnerable. Open yourself up. So how do we judge? Know yourself. Second, know your audience. I think this one is funnier. It's okay if you don't. Um, Don't throw your pearls to pigs. They'll trample the pearls, then turn around and attack you. Um, So, pigs and pearls. It's funny, by the way, watching how professional Christians try to make sense of this and read into all of these different things, and the pigs mean this, and usually it revolves around like a qualitative status of another person, which I think is kind of funny, because that's exactly what Jesus is teaching against here. You know, like those filthy, awful, nasty people. So what does this have to do with? Let's, let's ju- try to jump into the imagery a little bit. Uh, pearls in front of pigs. Imagine you're walking out of the parking lot, And on your way to your car, you see a diamond ring on the ground. And um, I think I offended some people. I said, not like a seminary student's diamond ring. And that's not like a knock on set. Their diamond ring means more because they didn't have any money. But it's only worth a couple hundred bucks, right? It's like the best I did. I love you, baby. I mean, y'all remember when Kobe Bryant got caught doing things he shouldn't have done and had a press conference and gets out this like pink, orange, gigantic ring. If If you don't know the Kobe Bryant save my marriage ring, find somebody who's wearing sneakers at church or like with Nike or if they got Jordans on and ask them, what's the Kobe Bryant ring story? It's a ring that we could pay off several houses in our church, pay off the mortgages with this ring. I mean, it's like a ring ring. So you see this huge ring. I'm sure, now don't church it up and be like, I would take it right to lost and found. It's like, I'm sure you would. I'm sure you would. (laughs) You're all great. But when you look at it, Would not your mind spin for a moment because you see how valuable this, what this thing represents? This ring could do a ton. Now, maybe you're a a strange human being and you're like, I know what I'll do. I'll throw this in a pigsty. And you put it in your pocket and you go out to, we've got farmers in our church, so you go out to their farm who are raising pigs and you throw the diamond in there. And what will the pig try to do? He'll try to eat it. Uh, Is this a statement on like the ontological value of a pig. It's like, no, if you throw a shoe in front of a pig, it'll eat it. What's the, the most generally speaking, what is the lesson here? He's saying that it's not that pigs are bad or that they're overly dumb. What he's saying is pigs don't know what to do with jewelry. You see that? They... You pick up a diamond ring and you're like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. A pig looks at it and they're like, this looks delicious because it's shiny. And they'll bite it and it'll mess their teeth up and they'll still be hungry because they got a roused appetite and they'll go over the next thing that looks like they could eat, which would be you. It's not because they're like that dumb. It's just that it's beyond them. They don't know what to do with jewelry. So what Jesus is saying here is don't give something to someone if they're unable to receive it. Don't give something to someone that's beyond their capacity to hear it. You may have to drip some info to them. Like, we're trying to save up money for our kids' college fund. And when we get our quarterly statements, I don't sit down with my five-year-old and be like, all right, buddy, let's go over the performance this year. Year Year-to-date interest is... It's not because he's subhuman or he's not worthy of the information. It's just beyond him right now. So I promise you this will happen. If you start doing your own work, You take your soul seriously. You get other people speaking in. You've hired a therapist. You're doing consistent Christian disciplines. Like You are doing your work. One of the saddest things you'll come to see is how few people will do theirs. You'll see that we love making excuses. It's that thing. It's that issue. It's that dude. Whatever. But very few people will do their own stuff. And what you will find in that is people reading into your motives, people judging your heart, And you'll see inconsistencies in their life. You'll see the log in their eye, which is funny because they don't see it. And you'll want to say all of this stuff to them because your therapist has taught you about these things and what goes on in the soul and what they're missing. And they're just not ready to hear it. So you can't just blow them up. You can't just unload everything that there is to say on there. Not if you want to be helpful. Not if you want to build relationships. So how do you judge? You got to know yourself, and you got to know what the other person can handle. So listen, and a lot of this gets wrapped up in well-intentioned Christianity. So if baby's in the hospital, and you go to visit, mom hasn't slept in three days because she's been praying and crying for three days. That's not the time for you to tell her about this experimental treatment or this product that you have for sale that will convince that you're convinced will heal them. You know what I mean? Like some, of the, some of the moms that were up here in the first service, like there's first-time moms there. And maybe you remember, maybe you don't. Nursing doesn't come easy for every mom. When, when that new mom is struggling to nurse, that's not the time for you to come up and be like, well, here's all the dangers of this way of doing it, and here's what I did to get my baby to nurse, and maybe if you just did it, they're just not in a place to handle it right then. Can they handle it? Are they ready for it? Will they be able to see the value in what is being said? It's not loving to overwhelm somebody. It's not loving to speak French to somebody when they don't speak French. And I think underneath this, there's something even more personal Jesus is inviting us into that I think makes some sense of how we live all this stuff out. He'll use the imagery of a pearl throughout Matthew to describe eternal life. And that's just not a duration of life, that's a quality of life. That's an experience of life, not just a duration of it. So this is a pretty pregnant metaphor that he's using here. When the pig sees the jewelry, he asks, is this useful? What can I do for this? When we see it, when you see that ring... Your mind starts running because you see how valuable it is. Not just that it's useful, but you know that this thing has inherent value to it. You see it closer for what it is. So this is a great question, I think, for all of us to consider: Do you see Jesus as useful or as valuable? Then you you can know you can get an idea of this when you look at how you pray, if you pray. If your prayers are all about things Jesus would do for you, Jesus, give me a better career. Jesus, do this for my kids. Jesus, do this. Jesus, do this. You see Jesus as useful. And I would say he is useful. He's the God of the universe. He can get a lot of stuff done. But if, if your prayers, your words to God are never, I love you, I want to know you, I want to be with you, reveal yourself to me, draw me close to you, you are enough for me. Like that's the language of someone who's moved beyond seeing Jesus as useful and sees him as beautiful and valuable. When you consider the cross of Christ, do you cry out, I get to be forgiven! I'm going to go to heaven! Or do you cry out, you are God, there is no one like you. What wondrous love is this, that you would do this for me? I want to know you. As you speak into the lives of others, do you want them to get it right, or do you want them to get Jesus? At some point, we need to see Jesus how truly valuable he is, all he's done for us in the midst of our own blindness, and in turn, love him for it. You, you think about coming in a way that overwhelms or is more than someone can handle. I know some of you are scared of babies because you think you'll be a bad parent or you're going to drop them or something, but nobody is scared like that the baby's going to attack you in the night. You, you know what I mean? No one is threatened by a baby like that. And how does God in all of his righteous indignation and power and majesty and wonder come to us? As a baby, when you see a baby, it draws you near. This is the heart of God for his people. Because he's loved us, we in turn love. And this compels us to want others to see Jesus too. It gives us power to look in the mirror knowing we are safe and we are forgiven. And then it'll move us to work slowly with others because God has been slow with us. We come in a way that they can receive, like he did for us. We say what they can handle, because that's what he's done for us. On and on we could go. Every week, we're faced with this reality at communion of, yes, Jesus is useful, but more so, he's beautiful. He's valuable. Look at all that he's done for us, and we will come to him. And in being loved by him, this will compel us not only to love him, but to love one another. So we anchor ourselves in this reality week after week, by remembering that on the night he was betrayed. isn't this. I didn't think about this in the first service. You know, when we get betrayed, isn't it like, man, you load up your gun and you're just ready? You know, you're just ready to fire back. You ever do that thing where you play out the conversation in your head? Well, he's going to say this and I'm going to say that and then she's going to say this and then we're going to say that. You know, on the night Jesus was betrayed, how did he respond to that betrayal? He didn't overwhelm. He didn't destroy. He didn't crush. Instead, he he thanked God for the bread that had been given. He broke it, and he said, this is my body broken for you. Eat this and remember what I've done for you. After the meal, he took a cup of wine and said, this is the cup of my blood, which seals your relationship with God. Drink this and remember what I've done for you. So we will, when we gather, we break this bread and we drink this wine to announce the Lord's death until he returns. Um, Our tradition at Sojourn is to come forward and rip off a piece of bread. There'll be stations in the back as well. Uh, You can rip off a piece, dip it in wine or juice. Wine will have a piece of twine wrapped around it. You can use whichever your conscience permits. And there'll be gluten-free elements to my left, your right. Uh, This is a a sacred meal for Christians where we remember what the Lord has done for us. Um, So if that doesn't apply to you, um, we would just ask that you respect our tradition and uh, stay in your seats as Christians come and celebrate our hope together. So I'll pray for us and then... Christians, let's come remember our hope. Let's pray.